0: Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You are listening to The Jan Price Show, all about movies. And today, my guest is executive producer Carrie Twigg. And we're going to be talking about a brand new series entitled The Hair Tales. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Jan. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is, I loved watching a number of the episodes and that I got to see already, but in it that this was kind of an interesting topic. Why, how did this come about that you decided to do a series around hair, you know, Black women's hair particularly?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think for us as Black women, you know, hair is a really central part of our coming-of-age story, and sort of Tracy Ellis Ross, who is the host of the show, um, as well as an executive producer and really sort of a driving engine between behind the conceptualization of the show, she sort of gave us our thesis, which is that for most black women, you can track our journey of self acceptance through our journey with our hair. We are people who, in, at least in our experience in this country, have largely been outside of the mainstream sort of beauty standard, right? Our health is our hair is a major representation of that. Obviously, that has changed and evolved, and there have been gorgeous black women throughout time that people have always looked at and admired. And yet, at the same time, we know that from pop culture, we're often getting a message that we are at best exotic at worst sort of othered or undesirable and and our hair doesn't look right and it should hair should be wavy and it should flutter in the breeze and it should hang down and be long to your waist and not short and tight and curly and um all of these things and so we really felt like we are past due for a conversation on sort of the legacy, the beauty, the artistry, the richness of our hair as well as the ritual of it. This is often going to the hair salon having your mom and your aunties braid your hair is often young girls first experience of womanhood and right and it's like your first experience getting to hear the conversation between your mom and her girlfriends that like normally you would be kicked out of the room for but because you're getting your hair braided you might get to stick around and like hear a little bit of the goss and so there's such richness and history and legacy to it that we just felt that it would be an exciting opportunity for Black women to see themselves reflected and their experiences reflected on the screen. And that was
0: just that you brought that up. That was what was interesting for me is exactly that going to the hair salon, how that was a rite of passage. (laughs) And I I don't know if it's the same way for white women. I have no idea. But, But certainly that was interesting. That was a big part of this. And I loved hearing all the different conversations that took place in that. Where was that hair Salon that well the one that I with uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley Ayanna yeah, Presley thank you where was that hair salon
1: those salons we shot all of those segments here in Los Angeles and so we interwove them across the six episodes but those were two hair uh, salons in L A and one of the things there's a lot of Easter eggs in this if you are into black hair culture and so some of those stylists that you see in those salon segments are like iconic oh, <laughs> um, nice. and so but if you're if you're an influencer if you know the world, then you're going to recognize some of those faces. We don't want to spoil any surprises, but otherwise, it's a fascinating, interesting conversation that's a reflection of real Black woman's life in this country. And for our girls who are like, for our audience members that are like, no, 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 we're on it. I know exactly who does Beyonce's hair. I know exactly who does Issa's hair. I know who's responsible for those braids on that Met, Met, Met Gala carpet. Like, we have something for for them too. <laughs> How wonderful!
0: <laughs> so everybody took in and uh, find out what the Easter eggs are in here, for sure, for sure. I've always been fascinated by the braiding. I mean, I was like, when I was watching that, I was like, my God, they're so fast. Yeah. And how they, I've always been, it's always fascinated me how anybody could get those little teeny braids and how do you get them to last. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was also fascinating.
1: It's a real artistry. And I think, you know, the show is broken up into three main parts, which is we have an interview with a notable guest that Tracy really sits and interviews, you know, we're talking Issa Rae and, and Oprah Winfrey and Chloe Bailey at Representative Ayanna Presley Chica and Marseille Martin. And, but we interweave that alongside two other segments. One is the salon segment. And the purpose of that is that as even though there is specificity to each of our stories, they are connected in a community context as it relates to black women. So even when Chloe Bailey is telling stories about her locks, like I don't, I've never had locks. And yet I can identify with some of the experiences she's talking about because I had my own, you know, similar type of thing. And so bringing in that salon segment was really an important part of that and from a format perspective. And then the third segment is really, is our kind of cultural experts and our academics who give some scaffolding to the ideas and the memories that we're talking about. And part of that is because there's so much, not only scholarship, but artistry and skill that goes into and cultural information that goes into the doing of Black women. Hair and, and into braids and into sort of those techniques and those processes. And we wanted to really give that their due. Yes, it's something that happens on the in the living room, on the front porch. Absolutely. It is also something that is extraordinarily artistic, is a craft of the highest order. And we wanted to show that in the series as well. Yeah. And you did. It's it's great.
0: Let's talk about Congresswoman Ayanna Presley because i loved what she had to say. It's certainly her bravery about coming out with alopecia. Years ago, I mentored a young woman and bring her get, in, back, get into the workforce, and she had alopecia. And so we had lots of discussions around that and how that affected her as a young woman having that. So let's talk about that, because I thought that was very profound, what she had to say, and how she handled it publicly.
1: I know. I mean, I remember us filming that interview, and just, you, you could have heard a feather drop, not even a pin. We were riveted by the... That story and everyone had chills and people were just silent crying and, and we'd filmed in Boston and I think that was one of the days where we had a local crew member who came up and was just like you know I took this as a as a gig I knew it was about black women and your your, your guys hair but like which is like not in the thing and he was like that was one of the most moving things I've ever heard this is one of my favorite things I've ever shot that from like a yeah. you know sixty year old white guy who's never thought twice about black women or our hair that was a really it was a real testament to what was happening in that room that day. Yeah. But I think that was one of, I think having Representative Presley on was so significant and important to us for a handful of reasons. One is she is a exemplifier of courage right. in, in kind of this incredible way. Two, there is a political reality to Black women's life in America, right? Whether it's having to actually legislate the fact that you cannot cut off children's hair because it is dreadlock because it's in locks because it's in braids, whether it's that we can't be fired for how our hair naturally grows out of our head. Like, Black women are living in a context in this country where we still need legislation to say that, which is absurd, Absurd, right? absurd. Totally. I agree. Uh, and her being an elected official was really important for us to have that brought in. And then second, of, and then third, and perhaps most importantly, and she says it, like, you do not need hair to wear a crown. This is what we are, yes, it's a celebration of beauty along about hair, but it's also not a show about hair in so many ways. It's a show about our personhood and representative Presley telling the story about how she located her womanhood, her desirability, her sensuality and attractiveness without having hair was really powerful. And I think really important to us. We are not just our hair. We are not just our bodies. We are not just our physical attributes, right? Um, and that is something that needs to be said alongside a celebration of the physical in a way that we were really adamant about, you know, and and there was no sort of hesitation. There was pure enthusiasm from every executive producer, from everyone at the network. Everyone got it immediately about why we were making a show about hair without with a woman who has none. And that was really important. And then also giving using this platform to have a conversation about alopecia when our hair is in particular. as women, right? Right. And I don't think this is exclusive to Black women, but your hair falling out would be a deeply traumatic thing for anyone. And to model how to talk about that, to model how to reorient your relationship with your husband and yourself and your sense of desirability, I think was really, really important. And we were really honored that she would join us for the series and you know, um, and I think it shows in the episode.
0: You know, I just have to tell you I I think she's more beautiful without her hair. She's stunning. She's (laughs) stunning.
1: absolutely and just the the life force that is coming out of her and the the, i mean she is so compelling and attractive and you're just like that confidence is radiating off of her through her it's extraordinary and
0: you feel that in this definitely in this interview with her you definitely feel all of that you know the energy and yeah she's just pretty amazing but you kept you showed pictures of her you know throughout her life with her you know different various hairstyles and i thought oh but she's just something about her now is just even more it is she's powerful and she's just more beautiful and stunning in that so yeah. and i loved how a couple of times in that interview how she reached out for tracy ellis's hand and that mm-hmm. was just so t- there was so a couple of moments and it was just so beautiful there were different you know different moments and i just thought how wonderful is that and talking about your sisterhood i just thought that mm-hmm. was just a beautiful it's a beautiful segment it really is you are the co-founder of culture house let's talk a little little bit about Culture House and what it's about and how you got involved in that.
1: Great. We are, Culture House is a Black, Brown, women-owned production company. There's myself and two other women founded it together in 2018. It's so, like, what was time before the pandemic? Right. <laughs> but um, 2018, somewhere in there. And my partners, Rachel Nijan and Nicole Galewski are absolutely extraordinary. They had been working together for quite some time. I was newer to New York and completely new to film and TV. They are longtime producers and have sort of made everything from your tiny rinky dink student film when you're in high school to large scale, massive kind of commercial features, sort of everything in between. And they were, yeah, working together and working on various projects. I have a background in politics and government. So I come out of the Obama administration and have been doing very different work for the majority of my career before leaving in 2016 because Hillary Clinton was going to be president, obviously. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> Working at the White House is hard. I'm going to go to New York and do something fun. And half of that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to me, it's not a coincidence that so many people left the Obama era and went into storytelling, including the Obamas, Mm -hmm. right. And I don't want to put any words into the mouths of my former colleagues or former bosses. But it's I think because we're all people who are animated by the idea that society can and should change. And you think that at least in my case, you know, you think the place that you do that has marble floors and columns and is in Washington, D.C. And so you go and you do that. And then you just bang your head up against a wall. And don't get me wrong, we did all sorts of things that we're really proud of. And yet it was so clear that not only was some of it so hard, but some of it was impossible because there wasn't a broader culture that would support those ideas. Mm-hmm. You have to build the culture to support the idea. I mean, the classic case is marriage equality. Culture was building the case to support the idea that Ellen DeGeneres, that Will and Grace, that Queer for the Straight Guy, all of these shows, they were building the case that these folks are just like you. They live amongst us. We love them. They can contribute in meaningful, profound ways and deserve fairness. Right. And so that really was a cultural play that then we were able to legislate around and able to then codify legally, but it was culture first. And so I think so many of us left the Obama era and we're like, we are once again at that time when we need to build a culture to support Support some of the ideas that we're thinking about. And as we're talking about the hairtales, right? We're building, we're showing people, people. It, the, the hairtales is a window, to portal into the lived experience of black women in our hair. And we talk about things like the Crown Act, and we talk about things that require more buy-in in order for us to make it happen. I had teachers telling me when I was a kid, I'd walk into school and a teacher would be like, Carrie, you look like you put your finger in a light socket. Like, why do you look like that? In front of the entire class! And would like ridicule me for my hair in front of an entire classroom of people. And th- because they have also had no culture around seeing me and seeing me for who I am and beyond, you know, all these things. So I'm sorry, I, I realize this is a bit of a rambling no, answer. I, no, it's interesting. I a lot of ground. Keep going. Keep going, girl. <laughs> You're on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> and when I met Ray and Nicole, we also shared a vision that about the power of storytelling, right? And that all media should have a purpose and have a point. Media, no media is neutral, even if they say it is. It's just, it's just an impossibility. If it was made by human beings, it has a point of view. That is just the reality. <laughs> yes. And you, I, we all sort of found each other and, and collectively were like, let's not run away from that. Why would we run a Why would we run away from that? People People know where to go if they want to lecture people know where to go if they want a sermon it usually isn't their entertainment hours it usually isn't hulu or disney plus or whatever so we really honor that we honor the gift of someone's attention by not preaching to them not you know trying to lecture anybody but we're unabashed about the fact that like this is a big world we need all of us need to know what's going on out here all of us need to engage with these ideas learn about each other and it's it's great. And it's beautiful. And there's amazing storytelling. And so the three of us really kind of came up with the concept of Culture House as a storytelling vehicle or as a, you know, a company that's interested in storytelling at that intersection of pop culture and politics it has to be fun, it has to be engaging, but it does have a real world implication to it. It is about thinking about how we're constructing the culture.
0: Right. So. Right. Oh beautiful, thank you. <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons and I've said this over and over again on this show, that I love what I do because I get to help highlight the, you know, documentaries and these kinds of series, so people will go and watch them and learn, because there's so much we don't know. And it's, you know, it's an education process, as you say, for all of us. And so I think it's great what you're doing with Culture House and where you want to go. You brought up President Obama, and let's talk about what you did for President Obama when, Obama when you're in the White House, and also Vice President Biden at that time, and your new role that uh, President Biden has, uh, that you have now started working with him, well, working with the Kennedy Center. Let's talk about both of those things a little bit, Kara, because that's pretty amazing. You're a young yeah. woman, you've accomplished a lot in a young time and in, in a very short time. And I, I just really uh, appreciate and honor you for that, you know, because you're an inspiration on your own.
1: Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate that. So I had a very fancy title at the White House um, that I'm always sort of a little bashful about saying because it makes me sound really important when I, when I, when I wasn't. Um, So I was special assistant to President Obama and director of public engagement for Vice President Biden.
0: And so what did that mean? I'm sorry. So
1: exactly. So what that means is um, I did a lot of sort of our external relationship building and strategy around. Things like paid sick days, expanding the minimum wage, collective bargaining, uh, you know, all of our engagement with unions, sort of those middle class, like very middle class economic issues um, was working to support the president's agenda on all of those things and um, I'm, you know, I'm from a suburban town in Ohio, and you know, very much uh, grew up in not only Democratic politics, but grew up in sort of working class, middle class life. And so, things that um, make—I've always been very passionate about things that everyone that give people dignity in life. Like, if you're sick, you should be able to stay home. If your parent is sick, you should be able to take care of them. If you have a baby you should get to be at home with your child and not lose your job. Like all of these things to me are so basic and so duh, but we do not do a great job of supporting them in this country, um, much to our detriment, I think. Um, So I worked on all of those policies. And then for then Vice President Biden was his director of public engagement So, if anyone knows anything about the White House, if anyone, well, if anyone remembers uh, Valerie Jarrett, I was, I was Joe Biden's Valerie Jarrett.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: Um, And without the, you know, forty-year friendship, (laughs) but I did that kind of sort of, you know, when Joe Biden says, like, me and the firefighters are dear friends, like I'm the person responsible to making making sure that stays true all the time that, that, you know, it is true and that stays true. Um, And it was great. It was amazing. You know, I got to go all over the country to places that I wouldn't have visited otherwise and um, had these extraordinary experiences working in this incredible building with some of the smartest people, most mission driven people alive Um, At a time of really profound optimism and hope in this country that I am, I am, I'm not typically a nostalgic person, but I do feel some nostalgia of those that that sense of optimism, um, which we feel very, very far away from now um and yeah so as one of you know joe biden's senior advisors um i of course stayed in touch joe joe biden is one of is is a model american i mean that guy you don't have to agree with him from a political or policy perspective but he is a good man yeah i love it yeah yeah, he is a wonderful yes truly a good good man yes and um you, you, you'd you be hard-pressed to find anyone who's known him over his very long career who would say otherwise, um, even if they radically disagree with him, right? So, um, of course, I've stayed in touch and have stayed sort of as helpful as I can while not getting like too sucked back into the vortex that is Washington, D.C. And so was very, very honored to be appointed to the president's advisory committee on the arts, uh, which is a entity that really helps the Kennedy Center, which is sort of our national um, arts hub In in Washington D.C. with some of their programming and um, fundraising and sort of yeah, just supports their mission and their goals.
0: That's wonderful. It really is wonderful. I had George Stevens Jr. on my show recently. You know who he is. He's the one who got the Kennedy Center honors. Um, he started those and also, you know, the AFI, uh, you know, starting that too. So it was fascin- he's a fascinating man. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, I
1: haven't. I haven't. Hopefully we'll cross paths yes, soon. Yes, Some Yeah.
0: Fascinating. He's 90 years old. He's going strong also. So you also attracted, we have only a short period of time, but you attracted Oprah Winfrey. She's of the producers on this also on on hair on the hair tales and she's She's also being interviewed she's also interviewed in the series
1: that's right so she is an executive producer and a guest on the series um we had pitched the oprah winfrey network on the series um her team to their credit were like of course we love it we're buying it uh and (laughs) we're going to show it to miss winfrey who again there is specificity in all of our individual lives, but as it relates to black women and our hair, there is a deep sort of like resonant community um, and shared experience and shared language that we all get to participate in. And so when Um, when her team, when Miss Winfrey's team showed her the concept and the deck and all the pitch materials and so on, um, she said, not only do I want this on my show for my viewers, but I also want to be a part of it. And so I will do an episode and I will be an executive producer and, you know, as a little, as a little newbie, I'm not as young as I look, but I, uh, uh, I am certainly new to film and TV and, and to have, you know, your second or third project be joined by Miss Winfrey is, is a profound uh, statement and very exciting. And so we are, we were just honored and so thrilled to have her and, you know, both, I mean, her and Tracy, like these are, These are women who understand the arc of storytelling, who understand reflexively the industry that we are in. They're incisive um, and experienced and brilliant and beautiful and funny and warm. And so, I mean, we just we really hit the lottery. You did. um, Had to be a pinch me
0: moment, I would think. Yeah, uh, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
1: Carrie, it's such a joy to have you on the
0: show. I'd love to have you come back, but we have to just let everybody know where they can watch The Hair Tales and um, when it's premiering. It's on Hulu, but... uh, It's on Hulu and OWN. And on OWN.
1: It is on Linear on OWN and streaming on Hulu starting on October 22nd.
0: Great. I wish you
1: much success
0: with this project and I look forward to having you back on with your next project. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jan. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. To all my wonderful, loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, And of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment, or review, drop me an email at thejampricehow.com. Thank you for listening.